All right, so today we're going to look at a story from the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. And to begin with, I just want to read for you the last few verses of the story that I want to focus on. So if we could break that up this morning. Just one slide, and there we go. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the capitalists how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So this is like one of those shows that you watch where you see the end and then it says 24 hours earlier. So let me back up and tell you how this man got to this place where he had been delivered and set free by Jesus. So if we could switch to the PowerPoint, it shouldn't have just gone. But there's only three slides, so it'll be easy for me to tell you. No? All right, let me try it again. Hallelujah. you got to hang on here. We love technology, but it does not love us. Let's try that again. No? If you can't, just bring up the keynote on my computer, and then I'll just talk you through it. If you can't, you can't. That'll be all right. Hang on, folks. It's coming. There we go. I think it's an output thing. I don't know. There we go. First of all, this man, you got to know something about him. He was living in the tombs. Living in the tombs. Is that, is that not strange? This is actually a picture of Cairo, Egypt. And there are actually people in Cairo, Egypt that are living in the graveyards because of all the turmoil they've been through for the last few years. This started about four or five years ago. People have nowhere to go. Not even the slums can people live in. So they moved in actually to the graveyard and begun living among the tombs because that's the only place that there is for them. Now you know you've got to be in a low situation, right? If you're going to live in the tombs. We're not just talking about the wrong neighborhood or we're not just talking about the ghetto or the hood or whatever place you think is the worst place. Even worse than that, the slums. We know that some people in the world live in dumps, live in the garbage. This man in the story about Jesus was living in the tombs. He was living in the graves and he was there because he was possessed by a demon. And this demon tormented him so much that he couldn't even be chained. The people of his village tried to chain him up, but he broke the chains, okay? And nothing could hold him down. And so he was living among the tombs and he was tormented. And the story from the book of Mark, Mark says that he cried out day and night just in torment. And he would cut himself with stones. And this man was in a bad way. He was really suffering all of this torment. And, and, and the demon that was inside of him was tormenting him. And his people had, had just outcast him because they couldn't deal with him. And he was living alone in the tombs, crying out day and night. You need to understand the desperate, you know, down situation of this man and where he was from. But there's something more that's going on as well. Because every writer of the stories of the Bible, they add details in. Those details give us clues. They tell us things more about the story, about what's going on at that time. And so the story opens up with the gospel writer Mark saying that he and his disciples went to the other side of the lake. That was the Sea of Galilee. And on one side was Galilee where Jesus began to do all of his ministry and where his first followers came from. But on the other side of the lake was the region of the Gerasenes. And the region of the Gerasenes who had the Decapolis, which we heard about, which was 10 cities. And this, this was like the center of urban life and activity at that time in the world. These cities were founded by the Greeks. When the Greeks came into the area, they set up all kinds of things, art, 
culture, philosophy, religion, and it was this great metropolis of ten different cities, okay? But everything that they did was completely against or different than what Jewish people grew up with. It was completely different foreign religion, styles, language, customs, so it was the other culture from them. Well, then, of course, at the time of the story, the Roman Empire had come. And the Roman Empire had conquered the entire region, including this region where the man lived in the tombs. And when the Roman Empire came in, they came in with power. And they came in with authority. And they came in with strength. And anybody that disagreed with them, they killed. And they burned things down where they were angry at people. And they came in and they ruled with an iron fist. Literally. In fact, they had, perf- they had perfected the art of killing so much that they came up with one of the greatest killing mechanisms ever invented, the cross. It was called crucifixion. And they would literally put hundreds of crosses along the road. And people hanging on them were people that had dared to speak up against the Roman Empire. That had wanted to fight against the Roman Empire. That disagreed or dissented in some way from what the Romans wanted to do. They were killed and crucified and hung for everyone to see because Rome said, this is what we do to people that are different. So the people in the whole region had been living under the oppression and the torment of the Roman Empire. And here's this man that's in the tombs. And so he not only has this internal torment and oppression, but he's been living in an area that's been under torment and oppression. In a way, Many of the people who were originally there, many of the God-fearing Jews, this man represented them. They were living in a land of death, surrounded by death, tormented by powers and authorities that they thought were beyond their control. And Jesus comes to this man. There's no mountain you won't climb up. Wall you won't, whatever the song says. (laughs) There's no lake. He won't cross. He crosses to the other side of the lake. you got to understand, even that little phrase carries with it so much. Because when Mark says they went to the other side of the lake, he means the other side. Like the wrong side. Like that side. Where everything else was. To understand a little bit of what it was like for Jesus to take his disciples, his students, from where they were in Galilee, over to the region of the Gerasenes, It would be like this. It would be like a youth pastor in Amish country taking his Amish students to Las Vegas for the weekend. That's what it was like. I mean, they were afraid. Culture shock to the hundredth degree. All right? And when they go there, not only culture shock, but they find a guy who's tormented by demons, cutting himself, no chains can hold him, living among the tombs, crying out day and night. And then the next part of the story, Jesus comes to where he is. That means Jesus comes to the graveyard. Jesus comes to the cemetery. He comes to the place of death. And when he's still at a distance, the man sees him. And the man comes running and he falls at his knees before Jesus. And he cries out, have mercy on me. What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. In God's name, do not torment me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of that man you unclean spirit. And the spirit, the evil spirit, recognized the authority and the power of Jesus. And Jesus asked the spirit, what is your name? And the demon replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. You see how his situation does represent the political climate? 
because a legion was a Roman military term. A legion was the number of military personnel that Rome would send into an area that would be enough to control and dominate the entire area. A legion, therefore, could be anywhere from 1,000 up to 5,000 troops. So this man not only is living in the tombs, not only is being afflicted by one demon, he's got thousands of demons living inside of him in an area where, where there's just oppression and where there's torment and where people are being pressed down. This man is just suffering day and night, day and night. But even the demons inside of him recognize that Jesus is the son of the Most High God. Well, you got to see what Mark is doing here. There's a little bit of authority that's happening in this story because you see the people were living under an authority that they thought they had no control over and they couldn't do anything about and that they were frustrated with and that they said this government that's over us is not helping us, it's hurting us, it's against us, it's ruled by people that are possibly insane, that don't care about us, that use torture and they use violence to promote their agenda and if we don't follow what they say, they'll kill us. Of course, it's so different today, isn't it? But I think there's a reminder kind of hidden underneath this story. A reminder that whether it's an earthly power or authority, or even if it's supernatural, if it's demonic or Satan, I mean, what can we do against that power, right? All authority bows to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Son of the Most High God. You see, it reminds us that all of this on this earth is temporary. It's only here for a moment. It will last for a while, but it will not last forever. And you need to know that because we should get angry. Yes, we should. But we need to use our anger to bring about change and to fight on behalf of people. Right? When Jesus came to the grave of his friend Lazarus, he yelled out and said he was angry. Something filled him that said, this is not right. I will speak a word of life and I will conquer death. And when Jesus would get angry, he would get angry at Satan and at evil in the world. And we can get angry at injustice. But friends, this morning, don't let it sink into despair. Don't let yourself think that there's no hope. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what government you live under, no matter whether it's the military or the police or politicians or wealthy people, whoever you think is in charge right now and not doing what they should be doing, it's not going to last forever. Because every knee must bow to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is alive and well, and he still has authority on this earth. And we need to proclaim that, and we need to believe that with all of our hearts. That Jesus has come to set us free. That Jesus has come to deliver us. Now that's on the political scale. It's also happening on the personal scale. Some of us know what it's like to be tormented, don't we? We know what it's like to suffer with what we call demons, right? To suffer afflictions, to suffer because of other people, to feel like there's something that's beyond our control. Like we said last week, that when you go into recovery, you admit that you are powerless to control your circumstances. You come to realize that there's a higher power, that you need something beyond yourself to help you. And of course, that is God Almighty himself. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And even the demons could recognize that and understood that they had to submit to Jesus Christ. Well, then a very interesting kind of funny thing happens in the story. It says that there's a, there's a farmer with a bunch of pigs out in the place, all right? And the demons say, send this into the pigs. <laughs> and if Jesus, listen, if Jesus grants them permission, that's what the text says, again, the authority of Jesus, grants them permission to go into the pigs. And it was about 2,000 pigs. Why 2,000? 
I think because that's the size of a legion. And there was probably 2,000 demons that were present. And they went into the 2,000 pigs, and the pigs went crazy, and they ran down the hill, and they went into the water. And again, what does it remind you? That no matter what oppression you are under, no matter what is coming against you, Jesus has authority over it. And it will not last forever. Because all earthly authority and power can be sent into the pigs and drowned in the lake. Is that good news for anybody this morning? I hope so. I know there's a couple inside amens because that's good news. That's hope. There is hope yet in this world because Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So the demons go to the pigs. The pigs run down the hill. The pigs are drowned. Okay? And the people that are watching the pigs, they're like, whoa. It says they run and they tell everyone in the town and the countryside. Like they went to the city and the country. They like went everywhere. They're like, we got to tell everybody what's going on. And so people come running, right? People come running to, to see what has happened. And when they get there, they see this man. It says he's now dressed. We didn't know he was naked until this point in the story. He was now dressed and he's in his right mind. And the people were afraid. And they began to tell them what happened to the man. They told them also what happened to the pigs. And the people were afraid. And the people begged Jesus to leave their area. I want you to know this morning that Jesus delivers and he disrupts. I want to tell you what some of you already know this morning. That when you get healed, there are people that are not going to like you. When you get set free, there are people that don't want you to be set free. When you come to an understanding of the higher reality of Jesus Christ, there are people that don't want that. They don't want you to change. They want you to stay the same. They want you to stay addicted. They want you to stay codependent. They want you to stay in that role that they've created for you because they want to feel like they have power and authority over you. But you've been set free. Amen. And when you are set free, people ain't going to like it. Amen. You need to understand that Jesus delivers and he disrupts. Jesus delivers from these evil authorities and this oppressive power, but he's disrupting it in the whole process. And even the people, they got used to this man, right? It's like we can deal with people when they're off to the side, when they're out of sight, out of mind. We can live with that, right? But when those people start moving into our neighborhoods, it disrupts us a little bit, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It disrupts us a little bit, right? Because they come a little too close. And we don't like to see people healed, right? We don't like it. It, doesn't, it blows our minds. It doesn't fit our categories. We like to organize the world in a certain way. And sometimes when you get delivered, sometimes when you're set free, people aren't going to like it, right? Some of you know that. I don't even have to preach this because you're living it, right? How many of you have found Jesus Christ and you find yourself often surrounded by family and friends who don't believe in God at all and don't know that they're Jesus Christ, right? Not everyone's happy with you, are they? Not everyone's happy to hear about the joy that you found or the life that you found or what God is doing in your life, right? Jesus delivers and Jesus disrupts. So what happens? The people beg Jesus to leave. And interestingly, what does Jesus do? He gets in the boat to leave. And here's the man who's now freed from the demons, who's been delivered, who's now dressed and in his right mind. Oh, don't you love what was left out of the story, the details? Jesus and the disciples cared for this man. Not only did they set him free, but they clothed him. They washed him. They sat with him until his mind came back. 
place it was supposed to be. Isn't that beautiful? I can just see them caring for him right there with them. Then the people come. And then it's like, you, it's like I just got free from the torment of demons. Right? And now you people got to come against me? And you people don't like that I've been delivered? And this man that's healed me, you want him to go away? And so what does the man do? He does what I read for you at the beginning of this message. He says, Jesus, let me come with you. Jesus, let me give him the bone of follow. He's looking at Jesus. you got these disciples, right? He sees them. He's like, okay, they're, they're, this is the way it works. You're the rabbi, the teacher. You've got these students. You're, you're training them, teaching them, building them up, and then sending them out. Let me do that. Let me join your school, Jesus. Let me join the Jesus school, right? Let, let me go to the Jesus college. Let me go to the Jesus seminary. Let me get away from all of this that I've been in. And let me go off somewhere else and just feed on you and just feed on the Holy Spirit and just enjoy that. And Jesus, in one of the most surprising ways in all of the gospel, says no. You're like, wait a minute, is this the point? Doesn't Jesus say, come, follow me? And people are supposed to say yes. And here's a guy that wants to come and follow him. And Jesus says no. Right? He says, no, you can't come with me. And can you imagine what that man was thinking? I mean, how would you feel after all of that? Jesus is like, no. No, it's not going to work that way for you. You go home to your own people and your own town and you tell them what God has done for you. Amen. And you tell them how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell people how much God had done for him. You see, sometimes following means staying. Sometimes following Jesus means staying. I can't tell you how many people I've met, countless people, and those of you who live in Hartford know what I'm talking about. People that I could not wait to get out of Hartford. Like, I cannot wait to leave this town. I can't wait to get out of Hartford. But not even Hartford, the whole state. We have more people leaving Connecticut than coming in. People can't wait to get out of this state, and they want to get out and get away. But I can't tell you how many people I've met who went away, who were in the military, who went to college, who did something else, and God tapped them on the shoulder and said, I want you to go back to your own town and your own people. And there's so many of my friends here in Hartford that have been called back to the city, back to their own people, back to where they were, because God wants you to tell them, them what he's done for you. And I believe the principle for this morning is very simple. It's this. You need to share what God has done for you, and you need to just start right where you are. Right where you are, your own people, your own place of work, your own school, who's ever right around you, you need to share what God has done for you. Amen. That's part of what it means. You see, we've been talking about giving thanks to God, and sometimes that's a little easier because we can pray to God, we can sing praises to God, but part of having an attitude of gratitude, part of being truly thankful is sharing with somebody, telling somebody, opening up your mouth and speaking and saying, this is what God has done for me. Right? Well, what, what about a plan? What about a training? What about a program, right? If that man was like us today, he would say, Jesus, can you come with me though? And you tell all these people the story. Jesus says, no, you go and you tell them, right? People always want us to do that as pastors. Oh, pastor, come with me, come with me. I want you to talk to them. I want you to share with them. I want you to say it. And, and, and I say, no, you go. Because your story is your story. And it's enough. Because when Jesus frees you, you have all the authority and power you need. Your story is your story because your story has power to give thanks to God, to glorify God, and to share with other people. And here's the thing. Your story doesn't have to be like this man's story. Part of us don't share our stories because we're like, well, I don't have a, a testimony like that that's all dramatic, you know, thousands of demons living in the tombs. And I don't know. I don't really have that kind of story to share. Some of you do, praise God. But some of us don't, right? 
And it doesn't matter because your story is your story, right? I mean, in one way you could say this man would have been a great person on Jesus' land, right? <laughs> like when Jesus got up to speak, this man would have been a great opening act, right? I mean, this man's story, you know, he should have had a, he should have an agent, he should have been booked in all the stadiums, you know, in all of the arenas. I mean, this man's testimony would have been the one that they should have broadcast all over, right? That could have really enhanced Jesus' ministry. He said, no, you go and you go and you tell your own people. You just tell the people here where you are how much God has done for you. And God is saying the same thing to us this morning, friends. That we just need to tell what God has done for us. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as somebody else's story. Everybody's story is their own. Your story is different than mine. Mine's different than yours, right? It doesn't have to be. What it is is simply this. You know that Jesus has delivered you. You know that Jesus has set you free. You know that Jesus has forgiven you. You know that Jesus has shown up in your life when you felt like things were at their worst and you saw Jesus and you heard Jesus and he changed your life. If you don't have that story, then you're in the right place. Hang on, because Jesus wants to meet you today. He wants to give you that kind of story. And some of the people that are the most left out are the people that grow up in church and religion their whole life, right? Because they feel like they don't have that story. But Jesus wants to set you free even of that. You know, the thing I noticed that's interesting about the story, here's a man that's been tormented, right? Tormented from outside, tormented from within. And when he comes to Jesus, what's the first thing he says? Don't torture me. And how many people looking for relief have come to the church and only found more torture, more judgment, more condemnation? Right? How many people say, church, that's the last place I would go to? I'm already feeling bad enough. Why would I want to go there? But Jesus wants to set us free even from that. From religion, from institutions, from, from places that just are about their own power and authority, not really about the power and authority of Jesus Christ. That's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that at this church and, and the way I lead, I want to release God's power. I want to release God's power. I trust God enough to heal you. God enough to tell you what needs to be changed, right? Once that man realized he was naked, no one had to tell him to put some clothes on. He wanted to put some clothes on. But he didn't know that until he was delivered, right? No one needs to tell you to stop doing whatever sin you're in. Because once you meet Jesus, you'll want to give it up. You don't want to do it anymore, amen? You don't want to live that life. No one had to tell him, okay, now that you're saved, don't live in the tombs anymore. I'm sure the man wanted to get out of the tombs because he'd had that encounter with Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus Christ is the one that heals us, that delivers us, that dresses us, that cares for us, that takes our hands, that walks with us. But then sometimes when we just want that intimacy with Jesus and nothing else, Jesus says, no, no, I need you to go. And I need you to know that I will always be with you wherever you go. And you will share your story in my name and in my power. And so that's really the point of this morning. As we wind up this whole teaching on developing an attitude of gratitude, on the importance of giving praise and thanks to God, the final thing is that we need to share with somebody what God has done in our life. We did an exercise a couple weeks ago uh, with this gratitude drum, and I invited people to come up and to write down the things that they were thankful for give thanks to God. And uh, so, you know, without reading any names, I'm just going to share out loud some of your story. I'm going to help you get started in sharing your story of what God has done for you. This person wrote that they are thankful for their family. 
Amen? And I see a lot of families here today. And definitely, there's been a good and bad, right? But we can be thankful for what we receive. Someone wrote, I'm thankful for this church. I'm grateful to be alive. Amen? I'm grateful for my job. Just grab a few more out here. Don't worry, I won't read them all. I'm thankful for Jesus' love in my life. Amen? Thank you, God, that you are in control and not me. Thank you, God, for those who've been a spiritual influence in my life. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for my pastor. Oh, that was nice. Thanks, huh? Thank you, God, for everything. I'm grateful for my daughter's love, light, and laughter. Oh, amen. I'm grateful for my job and a place to live. I'm grateful for God's love and God's mercy. 